Well, friends, uh, it was good to be back with you. Uh, you had a chance to hear from Dr. Kelso last week, and he is a man full of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that you had a chance to hear his teachings. As a matter of fact, right now, he's engaging with some of the people in our prayer ministry, and we may be having him come back for some opportunities to help us as a church continue to grow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer, and so keep an eye on that. Um, I have the opportunity now to come to you with week six of the sermon series that we've been in since the beginning of January, and that will wrap up next week with week seven, and it's called What We Believe Matters. And what we discover right away about what we believe is, is that what we believe matters so much because what we believe influences what we do, and what we do influences how we live, and how we live influences how we think about people, how we respond to crises, what our worldview on politics and, and other kinds of things. So it all boils back down to what we believe matters. And we've been building a foundation of essential beliefs of God's church and what it means to be a Christ follower in the Wesleyan Methodist faith. And so I want to start off with a question here about the history of God's church. The question is, how did a small Jewish sect that discovered Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years ago become a worldwide movement of Christian faith known as the local church? Friends, that's right. The local church has been in existence for more than 2,000 years. Its beginning of it is cataloged in the book of Acts, where we see the Holy Spirit fire fall upon the disciples, and Peter preaches a message, and thousands of people are converted that day. That was the beginning of God's church. And for more than 2,000 years, um, the, the, the God's church continues to exist. And uh, there's been all kinds of forces of darkness and challenges and trials and, and struggles and, and persecution. And, 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 and there are seasons where the church is weak and the church is strong. But for more than 2,000 years, there's always been a faithful remnant that continues to keep God's church alive and well. How is it possible that it has been alive all of this time? Well, friends, for the very reason that God calls us to be having a purpose as his church, and that is the call to make disciples and to make followers. Friends, we, we make no mistake about it, no bones about it. We, we desire to grow God's kingdom. We desire to see God's church grow. We desire to proselytize people, to share our faith in Jesus Christ, to have people come and become a part of the faith, grow in their relationship with God. We are on a mission to fill the Great Commission. We are on a mission to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and tell and win souls and raise up Christ followers. And Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission. The Bible says, therefore, now go and do what? Make disciples of who? All nations, everyone. Does that mean the neighborhood down the street, Pastor John? Yeah. Does that mean my angry neighbor? Yes. Does that mean the person I don't get along with at work? Yes, absolutely. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to just kind of go ahead and receive Jesus but not grow in faith. Is that right? No. No, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you so that we're growing together in our relationship with God, that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm living and following according to Jesus Christ, and, and I'm teaching other people to live and, and follow according to Jesus Christ, and to go and teach them and to obey everything I've commanded you to obey. So he's saying, go and tell, go and share, go and show a life in Jesus Christ, and go and make disciples. Friends, it's a powerful mission, and the only organization on earth that has that calling is the local church. We are called to change the world by reaching people for Jesus Christ. Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? 
Now, some of us might think it's to host worship services or to feed the poor or to have wonderful meals like, this, like our youth are serving afterwards to us or to put on great programming or to stand for social justice issues. Friends, those are all worthy activities, but the purpose and mission of God's church is to make, the, to make disciples, friends, to make disciples. It is the who we are that determines the what we do, that tells us what we're to do. It's what we believe that leads us to live a certain way. Friends, a disciple is a student, right? A disciple is a student of somebody. Some of us can be disciples of all kinds of things, and, 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 and we are, right? I'm a, I'm a kind of a Let's see, I, I, I'm kind of a disciple of, uh, I don't know, steel. I like, you know, all my power equipment, I just, I kind of like it to be steel power equipment. So I'm a follower of what they do, their products and things. We can be disciples of all kinds of things. Disciples are kind of students, right? Okay. So a Christian disciple is in a, an apprentice relationship, therefore, with Jesus to learn his way of living, to learn his way of living and help others to be able to do the same. So the Jesus journey here at Rolling Plains Church is to come and connect and grow for the purpose of being able to go. And we say, well, where are we going? That's a great question. John Wesley once gave us a, 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 the, the, the church a, a statement that says, you are now entering your mission field, and it's on the inside of the exit doors that reminds us that whenever we leave God's church, we are going out into his mission field for the purpose of coming, connecting, growing, and going for the purpose of going where, wherever people are to teach all that Jesus said and he, all that he did so that we might be able to live for him and they may be able to live for him too. We are on a mission to make disciples. Discipleship is more than just pious acts of prayer. It's more than just Bible reading and attending church on Sundays. Discipleship is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week lifestyle in a followership relationship with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit of God where the Holy Spirit indwells us, takes up residence in us, and influences us in every way, shape, or form. Our whole life, that's the call of a disciple. You see, discipleship isn't just an action or an activity that we attend. Discipleship is the very way of life that we live. Discipleship is a way of life that influences all of our life. It influences our worldview of society and culture. It influences the way we interact with other people. It influences the way we educate ourselves. It influences uh, our, our involvement in social services, our understanding of politics. Discipleship is a way of life, of personal piety. But not just personal piety. That's not what got Jesus killed. It's a lifestyle. You see, what got Jesus killed is he called people to repentance. And he says, I'm God. And I'm calling you to repentance, and I have the solution for that. My blood poured on the cross is going to cover over you with the power of my grace. And people were transformed. They started following him. That's what irritated the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of the day. But what also got him killed was that he was a threat to the establishment, the Roman government, the principalities and powers, the cultural norms. He was blasting and blowing away cultural norms, people just living and let live. He would come in and offer a totally different doctrine, a totally different understanding of the way that we do life, and invite people to have their lives totally transformed and to give themselves over to this movement called the Christian faith. He would teach a whole new way of living, friends. And while the church does good things, and we put on some really good things, we put on some good kids programming, we feed the hungry, we fed you know, 70,000 meals two Saturdays ago for people and refugees in the Ukraine, praise be to God. 
You know, we, you know, we partner with schools. We do all these good things. But if they are not done in response to the mission of making disciples, they are just another empty program that lacks the transformational power of the Holy Spirit that influences all walks of our life. And similarly, if we desire social reform, social reform does not happen when you make that social reform the issue, but it happens when you make Jesus the issue and realize that Jesus is the solution to every issue that we have out there in culture and society. The reason the world is such an unjust and broken place is because of sin. And sin makes people selfish. It makes people cruel. It's the only cure for the human condition. And sin in the gospel, uh, and sin uh, is, is in the gospel, uh, in the journey of discipleship, that breaks the power of canceled sin. That's what we understand from God's teaching, that in a discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel message breaks the grip of the power of sin in our life and cancels it out in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the blood of Jesus, who calls us, therefore, once we receive him, to live a life of holiness, to shedding sin and taking on more of God's character. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says this, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And what God is saying here is, the answer to hate and violence and the opioid crisis and war and poverty, the answer to hunger and and identity issues uh, in our own lives and any problem under the sun is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every single problem or or whatever brokenness or ills humanity, Jesus is the answer. And that's why I have a bias about the local church. I happen to believe that the local church is the hope of the world. How about you? That in Jesus Christ, the local church is the hope of the world. A church that's focusing on raising up and training up people to be Jesus followers, that is calling people to confess sin, that builds compassionate hearts that lead us to loving relationships with one another, with mercy and caring for our neighbor and living beyond ourselves. Friends, uh, as a disciple learns from their teacher, The early disciples learned from Jesus to live sacrificially and to lay down their lives, to lay down their lives and to be servants, to bring healing and reconciliation and love, to call people to repentance and to bring hope to all people. And if you would look around this world today, we would all agree that raising up Christian disciples would make the world a much better place. Can you imagine a world full of Christian disciples following the principles of God and living in a personal relationship with Jesus every moment of their life? That the grace and the truth and the love that we would experience from Jesus is a part of our life, and the grace and the truth and the love that we would encounter in other disciples would begin to be contagious in our life and in other people's lives, that people would want to have the very same thing in their life and start living in it in their life. And as it spreads, it multiplies into our entire community and can be life-changing and transformational as people influence other people to become more like Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the spark that lights the fire to get the fire going. How many have been paying attention on what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky? Have you seen what's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky? Wilmore, Kentucky happens to house Asbury University and Asbury Seminary. Now, I'm not a grad of Asbury University. I have some colleagues and friends that are, but I am a grad of Asbury Seminary. Now, across the street is where the university is, and two Wednesdays ago, uh, they had uh, one of their chapel services, and they've been stacking the wood for a long time. They've been coming to chapel services, confessing sin, building relationships with the student body there. <clears throat> and what happened is 
basically two Wednesdays ago, they got together in this chapel service, and the chapel service has been going on for 13 days. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped, and there's a fire burning on that campus, and more and more students are coming. They've been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and people are hearing about it, and, they, and, and their influence is like, I gotta I got be a part of this. The spark has been lit, and I wanna be a part of the fire, and people are traveling from other countries. Other campuses are catching fire. I, listen, I, I lived in Wilmore, Kentucky for, for two, one, one and a half, two years. There are a couple of uh, single-lane roads on the way in and on the way out, and that's it. Well, there's lineup of cars all along these roads. There's people standing out there on, 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 the, on the grassy uh, areas. There's a gas station and a subway. That's it. That's it. And there are thousands and thousands of people on campuses. They, they, they've had to open up the, the lecture halls in the seminary. They've opened up the sanctuaries in a couple of the churches in town. Uh, let's see, one of them is Asbury United Methodist Church, and there are thousands and thousands of people. They're worshiping right now. They're gathering right now. It's broken out into Cedarville College uh, University here in Ohio, uh, Ohio Christian University. Uh, it's also down into Alabama, uh, Lee University, and some other places. It's happening in churches. It's happening in communities. There is a spark that has been lit, and it is contagious, and people want to be a part of it. My buddy traveled from Iowa, and he's there now in, uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky, and they pulled him right in and asked him to be an usher and to usher people in. And there's a song that I kind of wanted to sing with you guys here today spontaneously. We don't need any, uh, you, know, uh, you know, band or anything like that. We're just going to sing this. And uh, something I learned in my youth group that some of you might be familiar with, and, and the lyrics of this song are so true of the point that's being made here about the contagion of a disciple for Jesus Christ. And it says, basically, it, it only takes a spark. You guys ready? Some of you guys know this? All right, you better help me because... By the way, uh, I sang in the choir for a while, and I only did that to prove to you that anybody can sing in the choir. So you better be showing up for Susan on Thursday. You guys ready? So here we go. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you'll spread his love to everyone. Watch this. You'll want to pass it on. And that message just keeps going, friends. You'll want to pass it on. That's what happens when, when, the, when the fire gets lit. The sparks and the embers fly out from it and other things catch fire. And, and, and friends, that's what's happening in our country, in our nation. That's what's happening in, in hearts and lives. And, and we're believing that it could come to Muskingum County. Could that spark light a fire in Muskingum County and do a fresh new work of the Holy Spirit? What is, what is a revival? A revival is repentance that leads to renewal and restoration of soul. It's an invitation of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a word that says, God, I want more of you, more of your love, more of your power. I want more of you in my life. And there are thousands of people right now crying out to God, desiring more. And friends, I want to be a part of it. How about you? That's the contagion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the contagion when you're in the room or when you're seeing on the internet a disciple of Jesus Christ pouring out their heart to everybody. People want to have the very same thing and start living it in their life, and it spreads and multiplies into the community and transforms people to become more like Jesus and you see, the more people that live for Jesus, the better the world will be. You better believe that the world is going to be better because of the revival that is happening in 2023 in Asbury. By the way, it happened uh, just 50 years ago in 1970 in Asbury as well. Uh, the people that come out of Asbury, they're good stock, I'm here to tell you. 
They're good. They're good folk, man, good people. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of that community. But friends, don't you think that the world is going to be a better place? I mean, it sounds like a cliche thing to see. Michael Jackson sang about it, right? I mean, it, it, the world will be a better place, right? Friends, the world really will be a better place the more people know Jesus, the more people actually live according to God's commands. Can you imagine what a society would look like that actually obeyed God's commands? God set that up to say, I'm about to give you a great life and a good society. Would you pay attention? And we're like, no, no thanks. We got it. We got to figure it out. And God wants to say, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? It's about coming together in faith, friends. That's what discipleship is about. It's about coming together in faith. Because of of uh, John Wesley's organizational skills, John and Charles Wesley, one of the founding fathers of Methodism, because of their organizational skills and their methods of making disciples, they were labeled Methodists. It was supposed to be a derogatory term, but yet we hold on to it as our denomination, right? Methodism, but, but they, were, they, they were so methodical in their organizations of the way that they made disciples, they were labeled Methodists because everywhere John Wesley would preach, he organized people in strategic relational groups called class meetings or band meetings. And the purpose of these band meetings, these groups, was to watch over each other in Christ-like love. It was about 12 people or less, and they started off each meeting by asking each other, how is it with your soul? Now, that's a question, friends, you can't avoid. Because, you know, because we got a great way of avoiding this question. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Boom, then you're off, right? No deep sharing or whatever. How is it with your soul? Oh, okay. Can I come back to you on that one? I mean, I'm not sure if I'm fully comfortable having that conversation, but they would get right down to the nitty-gritty of it. Friends, how is it with your soul? And it opened them up for powerful times of sharing, confessing sin to one another, encouraging each other, offering biblical accountability to one another. It spurred one another on to life growth. And this group discipleship was required to be a Methodist back in the day. And friends, I've been a part of small groups before. I've been a part of, of Bible studies where there's 12 people or less. And, and I've witnessed groups walk beside families of dying husbands and dying fathers and, and how the group came around them and blessed them. I've watched groups share deeply parental issues or health crises or things that, are, that, that we're fearful of or anxieties that we have. And we prayed for one another. I've seen the Holy Spirit open up a life group, open up the entire room with an outpouring of caring and sharing and all of a sudden, people realizing they're not alone and them sharing and confessing sin, bring meals to people that are sick, visiting in the hospital, meeting needs together. That's right. If you're in a life group, friends, if you're in a group of people, that person finds out you're in the hospital, they may beat the pastor there. Some of you have experienced that. They may beat the pastor there. And they're just walking alongside of one another on the Jesus journey, doing life together, sharpening each other. And as people witness this, they want to be a part of it. Friends, we grow best in holiness together. We grow best in God's principles in relationships together. It's how Jesus did it with the first disciples. They just did life together. Well, what did they do, Pastor John? They ate together. They fished together. They walked and journeyed to town together. They laughed together. They cried together. They just did it all together and followed Jesus along the way. Friends, discipleship is not about a transfer of information. It is about relationships that lead to transformation. It's about personal relationships, doing life together, becoming more like Jesus together. Friends, I've been to Vietnam three times, and the only reason that I have been to Vietnam at all on a mission trip is because I was invited by a group of pastors to go with them and to do it together because I'm not getting on a plane by myself to go to a communist country that's not open to the gospel, literally on the other side of the earth. It was never on my radar. I never even thought about it or consider it. 
And, and if I was the only one to go on my own, I might not have gone. But because I was with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ on this motorbike tour, I learned how to share my faith. And we built a church as a church, Rolling Plains Church built a church there in Pac Mau, Vietnam, as a result of a group of pastors that moved this soul to follow them and do what they were doing. Friends, that is a discipleship relationship, and it'll transform and change lives. When I was at The Ohio State University, I grew confident in sharing my faith. I grew confident in my relationship with God because I was involved in a small group of young men, and we had a discipler that would guide us and lead us, and he would say, do as I do, and, and do as I say according to God's word. And we built into one another, and my confidence for full-time ministry grew to the point where I eventually became a pastor of God's church. Friends, the ability for Aaron and for me to be able to walk alongside of our children through tremendous and enormous health issues with Isabel and Elizabeth over the years has only been because we've been able to be in relationship with other people in life groups and Bible studies where they've offered support and care, checking in on us, praying for us, helping us, watching our children as necessary, friends. If you want to be a better parent, if you want to get in shape, if you want to develop a servant's heart, if you want to be more like Jesus, you're going to do it alongside of other like-minded people committed to the very same goals where you hold each other in loving accountability. This week, um, I, I was gone. Some of you are like, Pastor, you got a pretty good tan. What were you doing? And I said, well, um, so you're on vacation. I said, well, no, no. I, I was on a, a week-long spiritual formation and um, and renewal retreat. We'll say, well, how'd that go? We'll say, well, um, I have a group of pastors that I meet with every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock, and sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 20 or less, and we spend every Thursday praying with one another, praying for each other, encouraging one another in the Lord, crying together, laughing together, weeping together, and then praying, and it's, it's the most powerful and, and, and filling hour and a half of my week. Listen, don't get me wrong. I love you guys. I love this hour, but I, I just... I will, not, I will schedule everything that this church requires of me around that hour and a half, unless there's a funeral or something, all right? I'm making that prayer meeting because it's life-giving. Well, that's what I did for a week. I spent a week with eight other pastors. And I said, well, what did you do? We ate together. We walked together. We rode to places together. We went to church together. We had prophecies spoken over each and every one of us that just has literally changed my life and altered my ministry and the trajectory for where God's calling me in powerful and profound ways. We cried together. We laughed together. We gathered as a group for a couple hours uh, in the evenings and just talked about life and ministry, and we supported one another. We did life together, and I'm here to tell you, it was life-giving. And you need a group of people like that in your life because otherwise you can come and go from this church on Sunday morning and other people may not notice. Well, when you're in a life group and you're not here, guess who notices? 10 or 11 other people. Hey, where are you at? What are you doing? What's going on? How can I bless you? And all of a sudden you share what's going on and they're there to pray for you. Friends, we, we need this group of people. We need a smaller group of discipleship to do life together so that we can grow in our witness in our own life but also in our witness to the world, friends where we can develop a servant's heart, be more like Jesus as we come alongside of other people who are like-minded and hold each other accountable. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. But encourage one another, friends. That sounds like my week. It was a week of encouraging one another deeply in the Lord with purpose and power, friends. And I'm better for it as a result. 
Friends, we need each other. We need the body of Christ to grow in holiness that can change the world. And the question is, Pastor, well, how do we make disciples? And I want to give you three easy thoughts on that, on how we make disciples. We teach God's word. We teach God's word in order to make disciples. How many of us know scripture? How many of us are familiar enough with scripture to be able to turn the pages and seek wisdom from it? How many of us are familiar enough with scripture to actually recommend passages to other people when they come to us and they're broken and you're at work and I say, man, I got, I got something going on in my marriage right now. And you're like, um, well, see, I went to church, read in the Bible. Uh, there's stuff in there that helps me, but hey, good luck with that because I have no idea how to help you. But yet God has equipped us with the power of God's word to be able to give people verses of scripture and to be able to pray over people. Have we gotten to that point where we're that comfortable with scripture, where we we go into a deeper understanding of it, or most importantly, we have scripture memorized so that when the enemy comes with lies, we're able to overcome him with the truth of of God and Jesus Christ. Where are we in our understanding of God's word? Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul is reminding Timothy of this ongoing discipleship relationship where they've been making deposits of the Holy Spirit into their lives, where the Holy Spirit has been lodged taken up residence in their lives as a result of this relationship. And Paul is writing to Timothy to say, don't forget what you learned and experienced from that. Before worship started today, I, we had a group text all week long with the pastors, eight other pastors. I just sent them a text this morning and I said, I'm praying for each and every one of you. Give them Jesus this morning. And it's just a reminder that God did a thing with us last week and we're not gonna forget it, Amen. And God wants you to have those kind of relationships. You see, when you're doing life together as disciples of Jesus Christ, with other disciples of Jesus Christ, you're making deposits of the Holy Spirit in one another. And you're you're building your spiritual bank account because you're with other people. In Psalm 119, the Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, friends. Discipleship is moving the content of Scripture into the confines of your heart and doing that with other people. It's spiritual growth and discipleship that doesn't happen apart from being immersed in the Word of God with other people and applying it into everyday life that causes you to look at your own life in the mirror and say, I am tired of sin. I just don't want sin in my life anymore. I'm not going to tolerate sin in my life anymore. I don't care how small it is or how big it is. Enemy, you have no authority in my life, and, and, and I say to sin, you have been crucified on the cross, and you've been covered over in the blood of Jesus Christ. Why would I put up with you anymore? It's been paid for. And, and I'm going to rid my life of all of it, less of me, God, so that I can take on more of you, God. And that's what happens when we get deeply into the Word of God, and we make deposits of the Holy Spirit in one another. Number two, we got to teach God's Word. That's how we make disciples. Number two, got to teach the power of prayer. We've got to teach the power of prayer. Friends, at the forefront of this revival is the power of prayer in Asbury and beyond. They are confessing sin. They're praying with one another. They're they're just praying on their own with God. Other people are praying over each other. And it's just a prayer, a confession of a desperate need for God. It's communicating with God. It's crying out to him. Friends, it is so simple, yet we make prayer so complicated. We worry about the words that we're supposed to speak or what we're supposed to say. And then we forget God simply wants us to talk with him but also to get quiet before him and listen to him. There's a whole lot of listening happening in this revival, friends. I've been listening. I've been leaning in. I've been paying attention. God, what are you saying? How are you speaking? What is the new work you want to do in me? What's the new work you want to do in Rolling Plains Church? Friends, when you do prioritize time for prayer, 
what happens sometimes is even then we get distracted by a phone call, the, bu- the, the buzzes, the dings, the bings in your pocket. By the way, you ever feel like your phone vibrates in your pocket and you look at it and you got nothing? Am I the only one? I've been so conditioned by this thing that I think that my phone is vibrating when it's not. Because I look at it as, well, there's no new text message. There's no phone call. It's, it's, it's like there's like this spiritual connection with my phone, and because of that, it's, it's interfering with the, 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 the connection and the work that God wants to do in my life. We've got to teach the power of prayer. We can get distracted by our phones, other things, or our to-do lists. We must teach and learn the discipline of prayer to pray the Scriptures and have the importance and understanding of corporate prayer. Friends, this revival is all about corporate prayer and confession, friends learning the disciplines of Jesus, who withdrew to solitary places, who is God, and he needed to withdraw to solitary places to be with and talk to the Father. Are we doing that regularly? If Jesus needed to do it, then how do we think that we can go without quieting ourselves before God on a daily basis in prayer? Or maybe it's just simply turning our conversations with ourselves over to God. And rather than having an inner monologue with ourselves, let's go ahead and invite God into the conversation because he's already there anyways. You know, we start off our prayers like, you know, God, I, you know, I've had a really bad day. God's like, I know, I was there. You know, God, things are going really well in my life. Thank you. And he says, I know, I was there. Let's talk to God like he's with us. Let's engage with him like he's there with us all day long, every day, and involve him in our life and in our conversations. We've got to teach the power of prayer. Oh, friends, we've got to teach God's word. And then lastly, we've got to get people connected. We've got to get people connected. The great challenge in today's church is connecting people to God and connecting people to others but connecting people together spurs one another on to be more like Christ. That is the very lifeblood of discipleship is deep connection. And at Rolling Plains Church, we believe that coming and connecting leads to growing and going. That's why we're always sharing connection moments and opportunities with you to fulfill the great commission of making disciples. But here's a deep question for all of us to ponder here today. Here's a question that we should be asking ourselves, every one of us. Do we really want to grow in our faith? Do you really want to grow in your faith? Let me follow up with that. Do you really want to grow in your faith or do you just want your ears tickled? Do you really want to grow in your faith or do you just want to come for an hour and feel better about ourselves and then go ahead and return to the same routines and attitudes and habits and say, hey, God, thank you so much for that hour at church. Now I'm going to go live my own life. I'll see you next week. Or or, or we have the attitude that all I need is a little bit of Jesus, just enough, you know, get me saved, God, and then I've got it from here. I've got the rest of this, this whole idea of sanctification and growing in, in, in my relationship with you, this idea of shedding sin, actually paying attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth, how I treat people, how I view myself, the things that I carry inside myself, how I treat others, the way that I live, the things that I do. That's all, that's all my territory, God. That's not fair game for you. But that idea that somehow we can get a little bit of Jesus and, and just take care of the rest on our own. Friends, are we really wanting to grow in our faith? In Psalm 42, there's a life-transforming verse that I pray is the attitude of every single one of our hearts and our heart's desires. The psalmist writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How about you? 
Does your soul thirst for God, the living God? Do you desire more of God? Do you desire more of God, more God's love, more of God's power, more of God in your life, friends? That's what's happening. That's what we're seeing in these college students. And you're thinking, well, college students, are, they're busy these days. They're busy with social justice reform. They're busy with classes. They're busy in the bars. They're busy doing this, this, and that. They ain't got no time for Jesus, friends. The students at Asbury are telling us something, and they're teaching us something. They ain't got time for nothing but God and the desire to reach other people with God and Jesus Christ. They're crying out and they're saying, God, I want more of you. I want more of your love, more of your power, more of you in my life. They're saying, God, I'm not satisfied with sin in my life. I'm not satisfied with allowing myself to be the driving force of my life. I'm not satisfied with one hour of worship a week. I wanna be in communion with you all the days of my life and I wanna spread your word. I wanna make disciples of everyone that I come in contact with. Friends, we've, we've gotta get people connected. It means connecting beyond Sunday mornings. It means positioning ourselves in the best habits and practices possible. That's what they did to stack the wood that lit the fire of revival on Asbury's campus, getting an intentional faith-forming relationships with their group of like-minded people. Friends, your time in, you know, your, your time in this group watching over each other in love will increase the hunger for God's word will increase your desire for prayer. And when you have a bunch of people in connection, meeting in groups together, who know the word of God, who are praying daily with each other. You have a church that's ready to catch fire for God. People coming together and confessing their sins and sharing their broken moments that will flow out of us beyond the walls with the desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to serve our neighbors and help anyone in need and to be on mission for the great commission to make disciples of Jesus Christ that will change the world. And friends, maybe the reason why we don't have a lot of God flowing out of us into other people's lives is because we don't have a lot of God in us. Maybe the reason why some of us haven't shared our faith with somebody in six months or ever is because there's just not enough of a, a spiritual fire inside of us with sparks that want to leap out into somebody else's life to the point where you can't contain yourself, right? Maybe the reason why we, we're passing by our coworkers who come to us and they complain about their marriages or they're broken in this area and we say nothing of God to them is because we don't have enough God in us that's pouring out of us. Friends, it's time for us to desire more. God is already there. He's just ready for us to access all that he has for us, all the resources of heaven. Read Ephesians 1. All the resources of heaven are available to us. And maybe the reason why we're so quiet about our faith Maybe the reason why we find ourselves being Sunday Christians on Sunday morning and we're not living it out the rest of the week is because we need more of God in our life. God is there. What that means is we need to give God more access in our life, more love, more of his power, more of him in our life. And when we do, the wood that we've been stacking, friends, don't, don't, think, that, don't think that this just happened on a whim down there at Asbury. It happened because these students have been stacking the wood for weeks and months. They've been going to chapel services three times a week. They've been reading their Bibles. They've been praying together. They've been meeting in small groups. And you want to know what? The Holy Spirit decided to go ahead and go and drop the match, and it blew up. And it's contagious, and people want to be a part of that. Pray about it, friends. Is our whole life consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit? So much so that when we open our mouths, we got to go like this. Because if we keep talking, the Holy Spirit's going to come out and we might mention the name of Jesus. God forbid we mention the name of Jesus in culture and society today. You might just get persecuted. Well, good, that might be a sign that you're walking in the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So here's some action steps for us, friends. Number one, are you a one-day-a-week Christian or a life disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Is he involved and invested in every area of your life? He's there. He's got all the power and resources you need. We just simply have been paying him attention. And it's time to say, God, I want more of you, more of your love, more of your presence, more of your power in my life. Number two, build faith-forming relationships with other people. We need to be building relationships with other people. You know, I'll hear from time to time people in our church say, oh, you know what, I've been, I've been gone from church for uh, three or four weeks and nobody noticed. Where was the pastoral staff? Friends, whose fault is that? Whose fault? If we haven't built enough deep relationships with a group of nine or 10 people, let me tell you, if you're in a group of nine or 10 people and you've been missing from church uh, for one or two weeks, guess what's happening to you? You're getting a phone call. You're getting a text message saying, where have you been? And then you say, I've got this going on in my life. And it's like, well, praise God, how can the group be praying for you? Can we bring you a meal? Can we bless you, right? But the reasons why we sometimes go missing is because we haven't positioned ourselves to be in a smaller group of people where we can build relationships with one another so that we can offer loving accountability and encouragement with one another. Yes, the pastoral staff is going to be there. Yes, we're going to do all we can. But the lifeblood of care and discipleship is relationship with one another and with each other. I cannot have a personal relationship with every single one of you. Pastor Russ can't do it. Stephanie can't do it. Our staff team can't do it. But I'm here to tell you, every single one of you can have a personal relationship with somebody in this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So third, get in a group. (laughs) Susan's up here talking about the choir. He's like, well, Pastor John, I need a group. I'm not sure if I can sing. You know, I kind of might enjoy it, but I I just need to rub shoulders with other people and be built up. Did you hear what she said? It's more about discipleship than it is about singing sometimes. Getting together, loving on each other, being there. Show up this Thursday at 7 o'clock. See what God does. We need a group to be in, friends. So uh, to make disciples, we're going to teach God's Word. We're going to teach the power of prayer, and we're going to get people connected, and we're going to realize it only takes a spark to get a fire going because we've got to pass it on. we just got to pass it on, the Holy Spirit fire inside of us, passing it on to other people. What would happen if we walked out of here today and we passed on the Holy Spirit? Every person in this room passed it on to one person this week. You want to talk about light and fire, the community might just be changed. Our schools might be changed. Our, Our workplaces might be changed. Our families might be changed. Let's pray for it, friends. You want to pray for it? Let's pray for it right now. Lord God, we just come to you and we confess to you that, that, Lord God, we have been living and doing things on our own. Lord God, we said thank you to a little bit of Jesus in our life, and we've gone on and done our own thing, and we've lived our own way, and we haven't probably, in some cases, talked to you in a while, or maybe since last Sunday. But Lord God, there's no shame in this place. Lord God, this isn't about shame. Lord God, this is about empowerment. This is about you know, receiving all the gifts and blessings that you've given us. Lord God, we want your full presence to be known in our hearts. We want to access all the power and all the love that you have. We want more of it in our life, not because more of you is, is, it needs to be present. It's because we, we, we need to desire to have more of you in every area of our life, Lord God. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would set our hearts on fire for your, your Holy Spirit, for the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that would cause us to want to make disciples of other folk, Lord God. Lord God, we claim to you right now, we are not going to apologize as a church that we want to grow. We're not going to apologize that we want to proselytize other people, that yes, Lord God, we want to see other people come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to see other people set free from sin. Yes, we want to see other people take on your character and, 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 and your in your word in their life, Lord God. And yes, we believe that more disciples is going to equal a better place to live together on this planet. Lord God, we are sold out. We're ready to make disciples of your son, Jesus Christ, no matter what it takes. And Lord God, let it start with us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place. Fill our hearts. 
Call us afresh and anew. Call us to confess sin, to repent of sin, Lord God, to seek restoration and renewal of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord God. And so that from this day forward, we never stop worshiping you. We never stop reading your word and ingesting it into our hearts. We never stop praying and talking and listening to you. And we never stop connecting with your children, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this in your holy name, in the name of God. And everybody said together, amen, amen. Now, friends, we're going to sing this closing song. And it's, the invitation is always...